0: Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. In your World Series that year, and guess who's up to bat in the last inning? It's your boy, all right? Drake Holderman, number 25. Look me up. You won't find much. So I was up to bat, and it wasn't like two outs, full count, but it was the last inning, and we were down by one, and I wasn't the best hitter on the team. I gotta be honest with you guys. And when I stepped up to the plate, not many people were like, this is about to be good. Most of you were like, it's probably not gonna be good. And uh, I stepped to the plate though, and they couldn't substitute in somebody to pinch hit for me because it was an inter-squad scrimmage. So all the players they would have substituted in to hit for me were on the other team. And so I had to hit. I was nervous because one of the seniors, his name was Joe Lindsey was pitching and he was a pretty good pitcher. And I had never really done anything good at the plate before. Now, if this was a real game, like against a real other team, there would have been a girl in the stands named Andrea Loving with my number on her back, cheering me on. But I didn't even have that going for me at this plate appearance. She was in school or playing band instruments or something at this time. I don't know what she was doing, but I was at the plate and I was gonna hit and I stepped up to the plate. I did have Caden Ray back there cheering me on them. <laughs> and I was doing I like, strike. Everybody's looking at me, they're like, this isn't good. I'm like, sorry. And so I step back up. I, I, just, oh, I broke the microphone. I won't swing it as hard this next time. Uh, and then I striked and they were like, really? I was like, really, I'm sorry about that. And uh, so I stepped up one more time, ball. So I wasn't out yet, another ball. And I believe it was, the count was 2-2. And if you don't know what baseball, that's two balls, which is bad for the pitcher, and two strikes, which is bad for me. I step to the plate. Joe Lindsay throws me the ball. And for the fourth time in my life, I hit a baseball over the fence. And and tied up the game. We eventually went on to win the game. The sophomores beat the seniors in the World Series Classic. I'm in the living, I'm not in the living room. We didn't have a team living room. I was in the locker room. And I'm standing there talking to my buddy Trey Dennis on this side and Alex Aquinn on this side, both sophomores with me, and I'm not paying attention because I'm changing or whatever, and all of a sudden somebody shoves me from behind, and it's Joe Lindsey, and my face hits the front of my locker, and I fall to the ground. Who likes board games? Anybody like board games? Card games, maybe? On the count of three, shout out your favorite board or card game. Ready, set, go. One, two, three somebody say baseball? <laughs> That's hilarious. So my favorite game is the card game Clue. Anybody ever play Clue? Love a good Clue game, right? It's the first game I remember playing. It's not like dynamic or anything. It's simple, but it's a classic. I remember playing it all the time with my brother Chase and my grandma Dett. We would lay on the living room floor, and we would try to figure out who did it, what they used to do it, and where did they do it? That's the point of Clue, if you've never played Clue, is you have to figure out who murdered them, what they used to murder them, and where they did it. And when it comes to characters, I have the list that's gonna pop up on the screen. You have people like Miss Scarlet, Colonel Mustard, Mrs. White, Mr. Green, Mrs. Peacock, and Professor Plum. Now, when I played, I always played with Colonel Mustard. Look at that guy. He's gonna solve something today. And when I played, it was most often Mrs. White who was the murderer. I mean, she's holding the candlestick in her hand, looking a little sus, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. You also have to figure out what they used in the murder, which is gonna pop up here. Uh, You have a few things that are like blunt objects. You have a knife that looks like it went on a diet halfway through. Uh, You have a rope you have a revolver that looks like it shoots cannonballs out of it, okay? It's a big barrel on that revolver. Then you have to figure out where they committed the murder. And there's a map, it's the board game itself, there's all these different rooms, and people who don't really know how to play, they just kind of use the secret passageways to the corners on the room, and they really don't ever win. It was always the hardest part for me to figure out, but that's how you play the game. By a series of elimination, as the gameplay progresses, you figure out who did it, what they used to do it and where they did it, and I love Clue. I love Clue because of the competition of all the board games, but I also love Clue because of the drama of it. I mean, the narrative that you jump into, like there's been a murder, and you have to figure out who murdered who. I think that's one of the reasons that Clue has become one of the most popular board games in history is because people love the drama of it. I mean, words like murder, and deceit, and lies, and jealousy, and backstabbing, factions, and dissensions, and envy. These are all words that the Bible speaks against, but that humanity seems to be drawn to. Like, people love documentaries about serial killers, right? And murderers, and bad things. And let's be honest, you don't watch it because of the heroes in the story, you watch it because of the bad people in this story, like, what are they about? Like, they're weirdos, but what are they about? And celebrity gossip is all the rage. They're divorcing, they're hooking up with this person, they cheated on them, they're not friends anymore, they're suing this person, and rumors fly through the halls of high schools, and it just seems like bad news often travels travels faster than good news. And there's some people in the world who aren't just interested in it, but they're, like, delighted in it. So many of our shows, reality shows, feature jealousy and backstabbing and the world loves it, don't they? And Jesus is is speaking in this sermon on different ways and how we're supposed to live differently than the world. And tonight we're gonna get to the section where Jesus says you need to shine bright by living differently than the world in this way. Now, I recently became a dad to the one, the only, the Willie Cruz. And I think his picture might pop up here just to show him how, how cute he is. And uh, he doesn't know. He's actually getting better at eating the puffs. They, they, they don't stick to his face anymore. And uh, because I'm a, da- I'm a dad, I joined this Facebook group for dads. And uh, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? It's pretty fun. It's about as dad-bought as a Facebook group could be. And uh, there's guys in there who post funny things, cool things. I mean, some stuff makes it worth being a part of the group, but most of it are just bad dad jokes. And uh, I brought one to show you from this dad named Nick. So Nick posted a question in there. He said, can someone Photoshop the kids out of the background so it's just my kid with the fish? Look at that kid. Kind of weird, but cool at the same time. Then you have the two kids in the back, right? Now, The dads in this group, I'm assuming not many of them are professional Photoshoppers just by the responses that they gave Dad Nick. The first one looked like this, right? So, (laughs) not good. Like, not not a good Photoshop. I mean, kind of, but not really. Then the next one uh, looked looked like this. It was the wrong kid. They were like, totally missed the point. And they got even the tail of the fish gone, kind of. And the next one, look at that. <laughs> that's awesome. And then there's the next one, which this one's creative. Look, it's catching up on the times. Little Bernie uh, caught by the fish. And then there's another one. This is my favorite one, right? This one caught me by surprise. Like I saw this picture by myself and I just started laughing uncontrollably because I looked at this picture and I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen on a kid or on a fish. The other thing's head and I was thinking to myself and the reason that I show you this picture is I think that we shouldn't have fish heads but I think that when people look at us in the way in which we live they should just be like wait a second what are you doing is that still up there let's take that down because I'm done with uh, making the fish analogies uh they should look at us and they should just be like what why do you live that way you look different Like when they look at us, something should be noticeably different, not noticeably wrong, like that kid's head being a fish, but noticeably different about the way in which we live and the way in which we live should be noticeably good. Like the difference should not be a negative difference, it should be a positive difference. And the way in which we live should point to God, whether it's like a big neon sign or just a small whisper, it should point to a watching world that there is a God in heaven who loves them. This is the whole point of the sermon that Jesus is preaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. All semester long, we're going through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Kalisa mentioned some of the people in this room are memorizing the sermon. I'm going to catch us up. The first 20 verses we've covered in the past three weeks first week, Peyton is teaching, and she sets the context for this sermon, and it's Jesus. He ascends this mountain, and he sits down to teach, and he is there because there are so many people following. He has to get to a space where his voice can amplify down a mountain, and so he sits down, and he begins to teach, and the first thing that he says in this introduction to the sermon are these blessings that are kind of different and weird, right? Like, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are the ones who are mourned, those who are sad. Blessed are the meek, like the quiet but strong. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The world is like looking to hear, and even you notice this, blessed are the rich, blessed are the popular, blessed are the ones who seem to have it all together. But here's Jesus saying, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, those who are persecuted. So you notice at the outset of his sermon, things seem to be different. And then Isaac preached on the second week, and he talked about the passage where Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That the way in which you live should tell a watching world there is somebody worth following. So basically Isaac said, uh, be salty and be lit. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Come on, somebody. Be salty and be lit. And then he lit this lamp right here, and it blinded me for like three seconds, and I couldn't see. But that's what our lives should do. It should make people notice that there's something different about us and the person in which we follow. And then week three, Peyton's back again because nobody would let me preach for the first three weeks, and she was talking about the righteousness of how we live. And Jesus said something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Like, unless your righteousness surpasses like the really good people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Basically, Jesus is saying the way in which you live and live rightly matters. It's not a joke. Like, this is serious. One, for your own sake, but two, for the sake of the people who notice you living, that they notice that there's something different about you. And because they notice there's something different about you, they notice that there's something a bit different about the God that you follow instead of the God that they follow. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. Our peaceful relationships with each other. Let the world know that they can have a peaceful relationship with God. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I would like to pray before we start talking. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this sermon. Jesus is speaking, and tonight we're getting into something that's gonna be difficult for a lot of us to act on. Not necessarily here because we've heard this time and time again. Just because we heard it doesn't mean that it's not true. So Father, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in this place to let the people in this room, myself included, act on the words of Jesus. Father, when he tells us to move, let us move by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in his name that we pray, amen. So Jesus is still on this mountainside and I imagine that he is still seated. And he continues in his sermon and he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And nobody batted an eye at this statement because everybody believed and agreed in this statement right here. Because the people that Jesus was speaking to were a group of people primarily made up of Jews. And the Jews had a long history of being God's people and they had a long history of submitting to God's authority. Thousands of years before Jesus ascended a mountain, Peyton has said this a couple of times, there was another teacher of God's people, his name was Moses, and he ascended a mountain called Sinai. And when he went up there, God gave him commands to relay to the people of Israel, one of which, number six, was this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, you shall not murder. Why? I don't know, maybe because it's bad. Like it's a bad thing and everybody agreed to that. And there was consequence for the people who did murder, like death, sometimes banishment. And I imagine that in the crowd that day, there weren't a whole lot of people who had murdered other people. They probably would have got shoved into a locker for doing something like that. But what Jesus says next, and I imagine the scene like this, is that like people, and it's probably not what happened, but in my mind, this is what's going on. The people on the mountainside are like clapping, they're amening, they're hallelujahing. I don't know how to say that. I imagine as the amens and the hallelujahs and the claps begin to die down, Jesus speaks back up and he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is basically stupid, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. There probably weren't many murderers in the crowd that day. And I hope there's not many in this crowd either. But I would bet that most, if not all of the people in that crowd had at one point called somebody stupid or a fool or have acted in hatred towards somebody else. And I would bet that almost everybody in this crowd, if not all of us, have acted in that very same way. Maybe it's a grudge that you're holding against someone. Maybe it's a rumor that you're spreading about someone. Maybe it's a gossip that you just continue in. Have you you been at odds with another person lately? Like if you've been in a spot with another person where you just simply don't like them, maybe it's more than that, you hate them. You don't want any part of them. What Jesus is saying is this, murder and that hatred that you feel are pretty much the same thing. They're bad, they're evil, and they will lead to judgment. Jesus continues speaking because he knows that he's talking to a guilty crowd. And those amens turned into like, oh man, he's speaking about me. And to the guilty, he says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. is that your anger and your hatred, and even if you've murdered somebody, there will be consequences to that, be it on earth or in heaven or in both. The way in which you live matters. And Jesus is upping the game, and I don't wanna complicate what Jesus made so simple. If you are at odds right now with someone, if you hate someone, do what Jesus said to do. Go and be reconciled to them, whether it's your fault or theirs. This is what Jesus says to do to settle it quickly and settle it now. Because our peaceful relationships with one another let the world know that they can have a peaceful relationship with God. And you might be thinking, oh man, my person is way out there. They don't have anything to do with Christ Church students. I haven't thought about them in a minute. Maybe they're still harboring a bitterness towards you. And maybe, just maybe, the most powerful thing you can say to them is this I'm sorry. And when you tell them I'm sorry and you tell them why you're saying you're sorry, number one, because you are wrong and number two, because you follow a God who wants to give forgiveness and you want to receive forgiveness and maybe just maybe the love of God that shines through you will capture their attention and they will be reconciled to God like the way in which you live could change somebody else's eternity because they see God through you. So many of us struggle with these two questions about identity, who am I? what am I supposed to be doing? Jesus answers those two questions in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, who are you? You're the light of the world. And you ask, well, what am I supposed to do? And he says, let your light shine. And the rest of the sermon, starting with what we're doing tonight, he says, this is how your light shines. This is how you spread my love. Number one, go and be reconciled to other people because I'm trying to be reconciled to them as well. And maybe, just maybe, you can be the bridge between them and me. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, the most powerful thing you can say to somebody is, I'm sorry, and they'll see God through that. Or maybe, the most powerful thing you could say to somebody, is there something that somebody has done to you? I forgive you. Why would you say that? Come on, you already know why you would say that. Because God has forgiven you. And when they see the forgiveness that you extended them, maybe they see the forgiveness that God will extend to them as well. So don't let me complicate what Jesus made so simple. If you are at odds with somebody, it is time, whether they're in this room or another tonight, it is time to go and be reconciled to them. The apostle Paul, one of the earliest leaders of the church, wrote this in Romans. He said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means the person that you offended and the person who offended you. The person that you love and the person that you currently hate. Live at peace with everyone. Now, I'm not saying you have to go and be best friends with everybody, but you need to be peaceful and loving toward everyone. You guys remember Joe, that pitcher, who shoved me into the locker that day? I was fixing to fight somebody, you know what I'm saying? The only problem is I didn't know how to fight anybody and I was scared. Luckily, a bunch of the guys on the baseball team didn't know how to fight and a lot of people tackled him and took him down to the ground. And they were like holding him there for me to punch him. But I didn't. And you might be thinking like, that's a good man right there. Maybe. Some people thought that because I wouldn't punch Joe. Mostly I didn't punch Joe because I knew that someday Joe would punch me back and it would hurt. (laughs) But I also knew that I wouldn't punch Joe because that would not be right. Like I didn't want to pay somebody back evil for evil but I wasn't a hero in this story because underneath the surface, I still had a hatred toward Joe. Like my face hurt and my heart hurt because I hated him. And I was telling my youth pastor, this was a Tuesday that Joe shoved me into a locker. That Wednesday, the youth pastor noticed a cut right above my eye. He's like, what's that about, man? And I told him, I said, well, I hit this home run like a boss and then, this guy shoved me into the locker and people were like trying to give me a fight him, but I didn't. They were like trying to help me fight him, but I didn't. And he's like, You think you're cool? I was like, Yeah, it's like probably pretty good of me, right? And he's like, maybe. Do you hate him? When he asked me that question, I had to be honest with him, yes. Yeah, I really, really don't like him. And he said, Then you need to go and tell you tell him that you forgive him and apologize for hating him. And I said, wait, apologize for hating him? He said, you hate him and that is wrong. And then he opened up this passage in Matthew chapter five and it said, go and be reconciled to them. And so Thursday at practice, I walked up to Joe and he said, what do you want? And I said, I just want to say, I'm sorry because I'm really mad at you and I hate you. And then Joe started to to tear up a little bit, which was weird because he was like a cool guy, right? And cool guys don't cry. At least that's what my sophomore group said a couple of weeks ago, and then most of them cry. And Joe, Joe started crying, and then he gave me a hug, and it was not like this huge, big deal other than the hug, and I just said, I'm sorry, and he said, I'm sorry too, man. And then we were actually like friends for the next year, and I never hit any more home runs off of him, but we were friends. It was a good place. And I know I hear giggles and stuff, and I tell the story in a funny way, but like it didn't matter when I was a sophomore in high school that I would apologize and it mattered to Joe, and I didn't lead Joe to the Lord. Joe was actually a Christian at the time, which was probably a bad thing for a Christian to do to show somebody else into the locker, but uh, he's good now. Like, his life is great. And here's my question. Who's your Joe? Like, who's the person in your life that you are at odds with, that you don't like, that you're mad at, that you're holding a grudge against, that you're spreading rumors about, that you're gossiping about? I gave you, or you grabbed, I'm sorry, at the beginning of this uh, service, a card and a pencil. Here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. Some music's going to come on, and we're just going to sit silently. If you don't have a card or a pencil, there's some back on the spool right there. You can go grab them. What I want you to do is I want you to think about in your life, who is your Joe? Who is the person in your life that you're at odds with? Maybe it's a hate that you're harboring, a grudge that you're holding. Maybe it's a gossip that you're spreading. Maybe you're the one who has offended them, or maybe they're the one that has offended you. But who are you not living at peace with? When I get off the stage, I want you to write that name down on the front blank side of that card. And then when you write that name down, I want you to flip it over to the line part of the card. And I just want you to start writing about what you could do to pursue peace with this person. Because remember, our peaceful relationships with each other tell the world that they can have a peaceful relationship with God. So this act that you're about to do to go and be reconciled to somebody is more than just you being reconciled to them. It's also about them possibly being reconciled to God, which is a good and a great good. And so I want you to take this seriously. And in a moment, after our worship service is over, we're gonna go into our groups and we're gonna talk about how we're going to pursue peace. Because we are the light of the world and our job, our responsibility is to let our light shine. And how do we do that? But pursuing peace with other people so that they can know there's a God who loves them. So I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna hop off this stage and for three minutes, you're gonna just write and think and pray about this person that you're going to pursue peace with. And then when the three minute timer is up, I'm just gonna ask that you would silently head out of the worship center and go to your group and begin your small group time. Father, thank you for this evening. Father, I ask right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring upon the minds of the people in this room, myself included, names of people that we're at odds with. Father, that person might be in this very room. That person might live in our home. That person might be in one of our classes or on one of our teams. But Father, if we're at odds with somebody, or Father, even if, even if we don't know it, but you know that there's somebody in our life that is at odds with us and we don't know about it, would you bring their name to our minds so that we can write that down? And then Father, I ask you the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in us to figure out how we're going to pursue peace, whether we're going to say, I'm sorry, or you're forgiven, or if we're just going to give a hug and talk about what's going on. But Father, would you help us to figure out how we're going to pursue peace with these people? And then, Father, our greatest ask of you is that this would lead us to a greater peace with you and them to a greater peace with you. So, Father, for the next three minutes, would you do that in this room? Help us to pursue peace with other people so that they can see and we can see that you've pursued peace with us. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.